Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we are welcoming the cast of Beyond These Gates. Um, it's a really fun show and it's going to be a fun interview. Everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, today we have our author, uh, playwright Mary D. Brooks. Uh, she is a special guest of Chatting with Sherry, and of course the whole cast of the play. So let's start with just saying hi, but um, a special hi to Mary. I'm glad you're here. Can Actually, can I, I want to ask you a question. Um, so the impetus for Beyond These Gates. Uh, true facts, uh, something in your brain. So what, what drew you to this story? Is this based on something? Well, um, the characters were born in uh, book uh, three. And the setting was, I was fascinated by the First World War and uh, the uh, flu epidemic. Little did I know we were going to live through it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So... Huh. And uh, parts of it is true, um, yeah. the uh, shell shock and everything like that, and it all it all works around to Stella being uh, the Doctor Who, who basically has a passion for uh, treating soldiers. So, um, yeah, I don't want to give the, the game away too yeah. much, but no, uh, that's a, that's a yeah. And I, I know that at that time it was a predominantly male profession. So part of oh, yes. her struggle was being, as you said in the in the story, is being taken seriously, right? Yes. Nobody to well, women uh, doctors in particular were just an oddity. So uh, I wanted to make her stand out. Yeah. And the boy doesn't <laughs> stand and out. Stella stands out. Yeah. The perfect yeah, well, that's time what to... I like about my character. I, you know, Dr. Frankelis uh, is very kind of crotchety, but what I like in the turn is how eventually he feels about her and that he actually becomes, you know, supportive in a way, which I... I that That's an important turn to shine a light on someone like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, there were people who were kind enough uh, throughout, obviously, throughout history in that time period. But um, it's, it was important that she gets some support um, yes. because it would be unrealistic to, to expect no support. So, That's right. true. And, and yeah. anyone, you know, any, you know, regardless of male, female, I think it's your mentors or people that lift you up. That's the entire you know, part of getting an opportunity is that you have to have people that believe in you, right? Yeah, that's right. So... Without them, uh, you'll be stuck in wherever you're stuck in, and never, never grow, never try, never do anything. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hi. So now I'd like to introduce the cast. Um, Mary's wonderful and and Tom's wonderful introduction gave us a nice basis. Um, why don't we start with Stella? Okay, hi. Uh, my name is Arielle, and I play Stella. 
And as we've we've just heard from Tom and Mary, she is a complete and total oddball, <laughs> which is so much fun to play. Um, I think she kind of goes against the grain on purpose um, oh, yeah. to cheer up. Yeah, for sure. Like in the first scene, um, without giving away the plot or anything, like everything at the hospital where she works is described as being like brown, very basic, really boring. And she stands out because she's wearing pink and has an orange stethoscope and she's got all these different colored streaks in her hair. So she's loud, (laughs) literally and visually. Um, And I think the patients love that about her. Her coworkers, not so much, but... (laughs) I also think she does this to cheer herself up because um, she's a war widow. She lost her husband in the Great War, and um, they're continuing the work that they started together. So, I mean, she's got a dark past, but she colors her present to make life more bearable for herself, I guess, and her patients. I I agree. I think she's a really fun character, but she's got so much depth. Absolutely. And next character and actor, I'd like to introduce uh, Tessa. Introduce yourself, Janae. Hi, I'm Janae Ray Spano. Um, I play Tessa, uh, somewhat of a tortured soul. Um, This is uh, a very interesting character to play. What do you think of her? I mean, I, without trying to give the plot away, um, she's very complicated. She is definitely very complicated. She definitely still has hopes for the future, though. She, she's very, uh, she's, she's got some complications in her life that uh, are making it a bit difficult for her. Um, and she, she wants to be better. Um, now Hard to what... give, not... Oh, go ahead. Away. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you. Um, now I want to introduce um, someone. Who, uh, he's playing two characters, but he's actually playing one of our playwright's favorite characters, George. Jay, why don't you tell about your two characters? Hi, my name's Jay. I've got two characters today. One of them is going to be named Alexandros. Alexandros is a young 19-year-old boy. He was in World War One, ready to sit there and fight for his country, defend against the evil, when he would be blinded by mustard gas. As a result, he is now 19 years old, blind, scared, trying to decide how this world's going to go and dealing with an extreme case of shell shock. And for it's going to be a big challenge for Dr. Stella. My other character's named George. George is a fascinating character. He is in our, basically the sanitarium side, the lunatic side. And he is this Greek man who is just absolutely fascinated by the Roman centurion. And he imagines himself, he fancies himself to be the centurion as he will interact with everybody else. Because of this, it's made it a lot of fun to sit there and try to bring him to life and what I feel he should do. Yeah, and he's a really interesting character, really fun. Mary, why is he one of your favorites? Um, he just sprang forth out of my head. Um, it's just, I was writing uh, Stella one day and um, George popped up and I thought, hello. <laughs> um, he was so much fun. Um, it, it's like the Lunatic Asylum is a bleak place anyway. So, And there was this fun character who 
didn't let his surroundings also, similar to Stella, didn't let his surroundings overwhelm him, even if he is not fully all there. But uh, he's such a fun character, and I love the interaction between him and Stella. And Stella plays along. So, um, yeah, he's a he's a fun character. He is. He's adorable. I think he... I, I fell yeah. in love with him, too. I think he's adorable. Um, yeah, and as I was writing him, he just... Um, it just brought a smile to my face. <laughs> um Okay, Tom, why don't you talk about your doctor? <laughs> Hello. Um... Tom Conkle. I play Dr. Leftiri Frankelus. Um, what I love about him is that uh, he's a bit of a curmudgeon, uh, sort of your classic uh, Eastern European disposition, but uh, ultimately I think he sees something in our character that's very important to her, her not only her growth, but her, her life purpose. And I enjoy doing radio you know, plays, as you know, Sherry, I've been doing them for about 20 years, uh, and I do some of them uh, regularly, so this is always fun to play in the, the realm of the theater of the mind. It's also fun because sometimes, I, well, not maybe not this particular character, but sometimes you play a character that you would never get casted on stage. And that's, yeah, that's true. fun. I, 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 I could get, uh, I could be a very uh, voluptuous pinup girl in, in audio. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll I don't, see how you could really do with good, your voice. Really I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's true. You get to in, in audio. Analog audio, maybe. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Not digital. It's too too realistic. Um, <laughs> with, with audio, though, you did, you're right. You can play younger characters, older characters, characters you wouldn't necessarily be cast in. Um, and you know, I love doing old radio shows. Like I've played Flash Gordon and The Shadow and all these different characters, which you know you can play for the rest of your life as long as your voice doesn't go out. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> That's true. Um, speaking of that, hi Ray. Why don't you talk about hi, your, Sherry. your two characters because they're very different, and you've actually done what Tom says about playing all different kinds of characters. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I. I I, uh, the character, the first character is, uh, Dr. Canada, I never can pronounce, Canadas, and, uh, he is one of these that, whose idea of the perfect woman is at home, in the kitchen, not making any, anything other than supper or dinner. And barefoot. Uh, or baklava. And barefoot and uh, and pregnant. Yeah. Basically, that, that's his character. He uh, he cannot bring himself to calling Dr. Doctor Stella doctor. He is closed-minded. The other kid, uh, and he's closer to my age, my real age. The other character... Is a, a much different character because he's much younger. Uh, he is uh, more of a romantic who is also within the hospital, and uh, he has a lot of anger issues. But he is romantic, and he's 
very close friend to Tessa. And his name's Carl Stragler. You forgot his Carl. name. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, I, I agree with Tom. The, the whole aspect of doing the radio is being able to play characters that you would never be able to do on stage or in film. It, it's uh, uh, I've I played characters in which, yeah, like Carl. Carl is so young. I mean, gosh, I wish I could remember when I was that age. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, but I, I, I loved every minute of it. Uh, it's a challenge. It's fun, and and you're you, he's mm-hmm. been with us on this uh, show for uh, on Sherry's Playhouse for a while, so uh, you're up to the challenge, Ray. You've done it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, thank you. Okay. I try anyway. Uh, next one is Liz. She is the narrator and Ms. Pappas. Mrs. Pappas. <clears throat> Hello, I'm Liz. I'm narrating. I don't know what kind of character the narrator is, but I'm sure I will just sort of bring everything all together. I don't know. Maybe I'm an alien. <laughs> Talk about playing something that you would never play in real life, you know. Um, and then I'm also, I have a couple little lines as Mrs. Pappas, who is a... a a delightful over-the-top neighbor, uh, Greek neighbor in her mid-50s, which is much closer to my age. So here we go. I think the the alien thing's a little far-fetched, but otherwise it's adorable. (laughs) Oh, but you never know. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, It could be in disguise. They are among us. Yes. Okay. And Jay wanted to tell us about Daphne. Hi, I'm Jay, and I play Daphne. Tessa's older sister and uh, we're about 10 years apart so at times I'm her sister and her best friend I'm also old enough to be more like her mother in some ways I think this character thinks of her sister as being someone she needs to take care of and hopefully Daphne makes the best decisions on her behalf that's what we all hope for as a sibling so I can understand that (laughs) that we're doing the best we can for them. Um, do you dig into your own family, sibling, or, or is this just by your instinct? Well, um, my branch of the family, my father was the youngest, and his older brother was about 15 years older. And I think about their relationship. So even though he was my uncle, in many ways he acted like my father's father. So I think if I switch this over into the female's perspective, you know, my uncle really took care of my brother, or <laughs> his brother, I should say. And so I kind of think of it the same way as Daphne. Okay, now my next question is, this takes place um, in Greece uh, many moons ago. Not that far ago, but um, it's in a different time period. Do you like playing in a different time period? And how do you balance your knowledge? Did you study the uh, period before we started doing the play? And anybody can answer that one. Um, I made a point of learning a bit about what was going on during that time period and trying to understand the setting. So when certain things happen in the play, you know, or certain things are described, it doesn't surprise me. 
and the whole idea of shell shock and what they called it at that time, we call today PTSD, uh, it seems very realistic to me. Oh, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Also, the manner of speaking. Yeah, the manner of speaking, you know, with contemporary, there's a lot more uhs and colloquialisms. What I, what I sometimes like about uh, period pieces is the more formal modes of speech. They're often more eloquent, but they're also less, uh, you know, of the modern affectation. Where, oh, I don't know, dude, this or that. It's kind of nice yeah. to play something that's not contemporary. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I like the elegance of speech. I like that people learn how to speak and, and, and tell the other person how they feel in a polite way, too. Um, sometimes they do it in a polite way, but there's an undertone. But that is not necessarily something you would know unless you listen to the voice. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about playing radio theater is that you can um, can zap the person and still stay with the elegance of the speech. <laughs> and I think that's a challenge, too, because, as you say, you know, people are very polite with each other. And when the characters are kind of off by themselves and speaking privately, a bit more of their own personality comes out. So it's almost like it being a little schizophrenic, you know, when you're <laughs> – sorry, I want to talk about lunatic asylum. But when they're <laughs> they talk a certain way. It's very polite. You know, they just doctor and missus and that type of thing. But in private, they show their heart. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Well, people in general, you have, you have different hats for what, what it is you're doing at that time. So mm-hmm. we, we do that all the time. I mean, if – if you're in one setting, you'll behave one way, and if you're in another setting, you'll behave another way. Um, the people you're dealing with will dictate some of how how we interact. So that that's just that. Not, that's, that's not exactly people. what I meant today. I'm, I'm not talking about different settings. I'm talking within this one setting. You're sending two different messages: one by your words, and the other by your tone. You see what I'm saying? You can you can say the most polite sentence, but if your tone is clipped, or you can you can like uh, the scene with Ray when he's talking, there's a there's an undertone of anger in some of the things, even before he's angry. You know, I mean, there's levels, and it's 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 actually harder to do. In radio theater, because you, in theater or on any kind of film type of thing, you can show it on your face. Mm-hmm. But oh, it, I was about the fact that she that she'd said that um, people act in private; they act differently. Is what I was responding to. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you because t- I thought you were answering my exact question. What you just said. <laughs> um, I understand what you about. You're talking about the subtext. Uh, tone where your words say one thing, but the sub, but there's a subtext based on uh, the tone or how it is delivered. Exactly, and it's much harder uh-huh. to do that on radio. Yeah, we're limited. All we have is our voices mm-hmm. and our acting ability. <laughs> um, 
So what do you think of, um, so this is a totally different thing from Mary because we've, we've done a lot of the Eva and um, Chloe, Chloe, Zoe. Zoe. Sorry, Mary, <laughs> Zoe. Change the name if you like. <laughs> I don't know where Chloe came from. Uh, Zoe um, stories, which are completely different. Um, in tone, in time period, in style. So it's, it's, are you guys enjoying this change of pace? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I want to go back to what you asked about time periods. I am a history buff and to be able to go back and try to portray a character from another period is like teaching a history class. You have to be true to that period, true to that character. That's and true. Hopefully, hopefully I have done that. Well, we hope everybody's done that. <laughs> All of our characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because uh, the time period is such a crux of of modern between the modern age and the Victorian and it's such an important time period how do you feel um, considering what we're going through now uh, we're in a crux um, right now I think do you think that we can learn something from uh, working in a play during a period like that Oh, yeah, I would hope not during wartime, but I think the concept of the of a flu that happened before this, right, or during, like I think right at the same time, um, it's not emphasizing the, uh, the flu, the Spanish flu, but you know I know many many people died during that time period, and that's probably what I would most likely somehow relate to through the pandemic, you know, having to be in isolation, having to be careful in ways I'd never thought about before. Oh, I, I had a, a person say, history has a way of repeating itself, whether we want it to do or not. Uh, we're going through this pandemic that we had 100 years ago. We're going through one today. Um, and we could have learned so much if we'd have taken what we learned during the Spanish flu pandemic. We would have been able to go through this one a lot easier. That was, uh, well, that's true. We learned nothing. But we didn't. We learned absolutely nothing, nothing. because people, there, there is right. there's enough evidence that people were anti-masking back then, too. And right. not only is this a pandemic, both of these are actually plagues. They're, they're, it, we've had several pandemics, but both the Spanish flu and this one are actually plague-level pandemics yeah which is which is why they're they're so much worse um yeah this is a this is a plague and so is the spanish flu we've had several pandemics since since the spanish flu but the thing is is that well the, when you put it that way it, yeah. it is well, I, I, was that, that is actual, I was just gonna that say actual, that <laughs> with the back when the spanish flu happened we already had a great loss 
around the world from the war. Right. And then you right. add the Spanish flu on top of it. But our death levels now are reaching worse than the Spanish flu. I mean, it's like we didn't learn anything. Well, there's one thing, though. Anti-maskers in San Francisco. Yeah. There's one thing I'm noticing, though. Because you said the word plague, it kind of made me think about previous plagues in history. When we isolated ourselves like this, uh-huh. a lot of us developed some skills we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we used it as a learning time. Because it's some because we had to kind of cocoon ourselves and find ways to occupy our mm-hmm. minds. And I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot of things I didn't know how to do a year and a half ago. Uh, I, I, I baked mm-hmm. an angel cake for the first time. Yay! <laughs> I yeah, yeah it, it, it was a time for slowing down and not being able to do some things. I did actually try some new, new skills or apply skills I had to a new endeavor and yeah it, it this does kind of bring that out also I think our modern world does not do does not play nice with the plague um, because we're much more interdependent because we don't have our own kitchen gardens anymore we don't have our little milch cow and or goat and our, mm-hmm. our chickens out in the back to get our eggs and more of us actually rent than what you know because at one point in time where people really did actually own or mm-hmm. stuff and we are much more dependent on being able to get out there than we used to be because our, our society has changed so much we don't play very nice with the plague level of plague level of uh mm. what happens to society right now it that's an interesting distinction yes we're much more dependent. Yes. You, know, you know, this whole nuts about going buying someone's toilet paper, for example. You know, did people hoard the first time around when there was this happened a hundred years ago? No, you know? no, they did not. You know, a hundred years ago, we had those uh, gardens that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. We still right. have those gardens. So it wasn't necessarily a hoard back. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't. That's that came from this hoarding tendency came from the world worrying about the atomic bomb and stuff like that. That's when hoarding became the uh, the fallout and the shelters and the hoarding and all this craziness. That's that's when that stuff started. But I mean, you think we the problem is is that. It was good for the animals when we were all locked down because the animals all, you know, they, they could walk in the middle of the road. They could swim in the ocean without worrying about it. The air got cleaner. The air got cleaner. Oh, yeah. The ozone got stronger. I mean, there was some good parts of it. Because yeah. we Water were messing it up. Venice. Yeah. Yeah, the Venice, the water in Venice got better i mean the, the planet was healing that's a lesson too um and i think it's, 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 the same again that, that can make a change by making changes because we just proved it uh, so all those that say that we can't or it's yeah, yeah, you know no we we definitely have an effect and we only have an effect for the positive um, I, I know we're, ta- we're talking about global stuff, but I want—I actually want to get back to Mary's play. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I just um, just to add to that conversation, 
uh, in the second episode, you'll see more about um, more about the epidemic and how it impacts those characters. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Well, but we've got to get with the first one first. Yeah, we have to do this one first, and then we can do the second yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. And that's not going to be till next season, so, you know. Um, but I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, <laughs> Mary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to writing it. Uh, I'm looking forward I, 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 to... I'm having fun playing Tessa, and I've had fun bringing Ava to life, so I, I'm having fun with your characters. Oh, thanks, mate. And Mabel, too. Uh, We're I, looking I, forward to Mabel. Yes. The next part yes. of Mabel. Yeah. Just a I reminder. think the, the entire cast is fantastic, so even before Aww. you guys do it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so my next question is, now that we've got the springboard, actually Mary opened it for me, uh, the springboard of the first play, how do you feel about going to the second play? Would you guys be willing to do the next one? Yes. Bring it on. Sure. Unless my character's killed sure. off, in which case, you know, <laughs> it won't matter. Oh. Um, that that uh, would be a tragedy. No, she's not killed off. Okay. <laughs> she had to think about that <laughs> for a few minutes. Not until much, much later. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. For those who haven't read mm. book one, read her books. Yeah. <laughs> I just no. know that Mary likes to knock off her characters. <laughs> oh yeah, my body count. Yes. Yeah, her body again. count is rather high, but that's okay. That's why yeah. I mean, we still love her. Um... I'm rather bloodthirsty about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Oh, these are set in and around wars. <laughs> hey, I think uh, <clears throat> aren't I dead already? I, I mean, I play Mabel. Aren't I dead already? In the next one, uh, um, what in in the Mabel? That's uh, coming up. Right? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I know she isn't going to live that much longer. <laughs> I, you don't have much longer to live, but um, oh. no, I, I know I haven't killed anybody. Okay. So far. Okay. So you're still George um, R. of the radio. Sorry. You're still George R.R. Martin of the radio. Yes, George. <laughs> uh, poor George. <laughs> poor George. Poor George. I'm not going to tell you what happens to George. Um, please don't. don't um, not yet. Don't tell them anything yet, please. They have no, to do I'm it. I'm not telling. I'm not <laughs> telling you guys anything. What happens to the characters? But episode two is going to be. Mm, actually, well, it does. You get hints of what's going to happen in the first episode. Yes. I think I know where I go with as Carl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Um, I love Carl. I do too. He's such a sweet. He's such a sweet boy, and uh, he he just loves uh, Tessa. So. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know. No, it, it's a, a body count three in this episode. It's great. I didn't think of that. Oh. <laughs> yes, I know. The first time ever. Um, I haven't killed anybody. Um, but that's all I'm going to say. 
Yeah, that's true. Oh, Thinking God. about your other plays, yeah, pretty much true. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this hanging over our head. So <laughs> this is the happy episode before everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is happy. what I normally do. I'll lull you into a false sense of security, and then I wham you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so the yeah, you fall in love with the characters. Fall in love with them. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen mm-hmm. the next time you meet them. That's true. Yeah. I think that's that's oh, no, why you evil. that's why you like a good book or a play or anything. You don't know what's going to happen. It's like real life. No. So right. You get attached to the characters and then you kill that's, them. That's the whole idea. You get attached. That's what an author wants, right? Or a writer oh. wants to yeah. get. We want to get you the to. reader or the listener to attach themselves to a character and say, I absolutely love George or I love Tessa or I love uh, uh, Stella. But you don't know what's going to happen to them in the next three, four, five, six uh, shows. But, right. you know. It's just um, like when you're reading a book, it's a good book, out. and you yeah. really like this character and you find out they're they're – not at all what you thought they were, and it, it totally like my brother's reading Origin right now, and he really loves one of the characters, and I'm just biting my tongue trying not to tell him that this is not what you think. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, it's, that's um, the that's point. What, that's what every writer wants, you know. Yep. For you to be impacted by the words. Yep. And uh, and. For you to get emotionally attached to them. And then we rip your heart out. But, you know. Uh Hey, Tom, you can enter this. Sorry, not sorry. You can enter this conversation. You're a writer. You write movies. Tom? Oh, I didn't hear it. Yeah, I said that you write movies. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, when I'm writing a, a film, I want people to either feel like the character when they're walking out or at least be emotionally vested in the character. Yeah. I think the the audiences uh, need to have empathy with the character, even an unlikable character. If they understand them, then they're going to feel something. That makes That's sense. That's the whole point. Yep. I mean, and it's hard for an actor to play a bad guy, too. Although sometimes it's really fun. I gotta play a couple of bad guys since we started. I prefer doing playing a bad guy. It's bad guys are the most interesting. Bad guys. It, it's the actually heroes only as good as the villain. It's really fun. Exactly. I gotta play. I definitely a, won't play a bad person. I gotta play a femme fatale, which I I never get cast as. So I really that I I did my best not to chew the scenery because that was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> It is fun. Being the baddie gives you a certain freedom that the hero doesn't have. Right. Um, so I, I, I think it's often the most fun part, but also if you can create empathy as the villain, that's even better because remember the villain is the hero of his own story. Mm-hmm. A good yeah. villain. Yep. I read something and, about the villain is that, like you say, there's a freedom to it. And they say a villain will burn the, word, the whole world down just to get a kiss. But a hero can't do that. No. There's extremes to yes. the villain. Well said. Well said. I like that. Okay. So that, now that's something about 
talking about freedom of character, but that's something uh, like a second banana, just these filler characters get to do because they get to have so much fun. They get to be anything. Sometimes it's going to be comic relief. Sometimes it's going to be switching sides. You can never know what they're going to be as they fill in and give the story depth. That's true. Yeah. They're very, char- yeah. the, those smaller parts are, that's why the old saying, there are no small parts, only small actors. The small parts are extraordinarily important. A playwright does not put a small part in just to throw in a small part. There is a reason for every single character and every single line. It's part of the structure. Some of it yep. is to move the story along. Yep. If, you, if you're going to write the smoking gun, you have to use it. That's right. I mean, and not just put it there, just the show. I, I, when I've written a smaller character, it's usually a vital character. It's one. It's like a really important character. So, it it it, it could be either a, a bad impetus or a good impetus. But there's something there. There's a reason that you put it in there. Do you agree, Mary? I agree. I was just thinking. Uh... Um, about George and the reason why George is there. That will become evident in uh, episode two. I'm curious where that's going to go because I've got my own thoughts on where, if I was doing this, how I'd handle them. So I'm, I'm very curious to see it, what, where it goes. You'll know because when you get the, the script. Hit. You'll get the script, Jay, and then you'll know. <laughs> yeah. But the hint, the hint is, in, is already there. If you look for it, it's already foreshadowed. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's already foreshadowed of what Carl and uh, George are going to do. Yeah, Mary. So look for that, folks. Mary's an elegant foreshadower. Her her foreshadowing is very elegantly done. I, I think I know where this. And oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give anything away, Jay. That would actually be a great social media profile. Elegant foreshadower. Like, that's your that's your th- thing on Instagram. Like, <laughs> Tom Conkle, elegant foreshadower. I just, <laughs> I, I like just, I, well, <laughs> there's some people that do their foreshadowing, like they're clunking you on the top of the head, and then there's some people that are very elegant in the way they do it, and that's what I was meaning. <laughs> you, you, you. The idea about uh, is to very is to bury the lead, basically. Yeah, you bury the lead. It's like subtext. You, yes, it is subtext, and uh, and then when it happens, you go back to the story and go, oh, so that's what that thing meant. I think that's why I'm so enamored with Agatha Christie because she was the queen of the foreshadow. Oh. Yes. And she did it she so subtly. I mean, um, if you read the murder of Roger, um, uh-huh. Roger, ah, Roger okay. thank you. Um, I, for some reason, it just but what happens? I'm not going to tell you if you've not read the book. But what happens in the book? Every word, every scene is a foreshadow. I mean, I've if you. If you don't know that after you've read the book, you, when you reread it, then you have to reread it again because it's right there. 
but you don't see it. You don't believe it. You can't believe it. <laughs> that that's that's yeah. talent. <laughs> well, Agatha, Agatha Christie he was is one of my favorite authors, mm-hmm. and uh, she's the queen, mm-hmm. absolute the queen. Yeah, I adore but. her. I adore her. Um, and I that's pretty much every uh, genre that she does because people only think of her as murder but she does all kinds of genres I think she's so talented and you can if you're a writer you can learn from her at least that's what I feel um, <laughs> and I don't it doesn't matter what genre you're doing about subtlety subtext foreshadowing structure structure yeah. it's it she's like a master class um, so anyway, if you you want to be a writer, I really recommend you read uh, some Agatha, not as a murder mystery book, but as a writer. There's a difference. Um, For and, the craft, basically. Yes, exactly. Mm. Okay. I feel like with narrative, it always has to be surprising but inevitable. Yeah. So if you've laid it down, it should catch you by surprise, but in retrospect, it seems inevitable. Exactly. After you finish reading it and you and you find out what happens, you're like, oh, I, sh- I saw that, but why couldn't I believe it? Because the author didn't want you to yeah. believe it. That's why you couldn't believe it. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and with Trouble is My Business site, when I was laying out sort of a noir mystery, I li- literally, the only people that told the truth were the villains or the bad guys. They literally laid out, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But the unreliable narrator are the the protagonists and so they make you doubt and they're like well that's just too simple it's got to be something else so it has to be this until they build a case that seems like well no actually that seems reasonable but then you're like no obviously it was the the thing you know the one person who told the truth was the villain Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's the kind of thing that's fun with a mystery is that you're you're putting together pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and often you're writing backwards and as a performer, you want it to be in the moment. You you don't want to be telegraphing, but often you're foreshadowing as a character. Uh, and if you do if you do it right, then people go, "Oh, I know what he's thinking," or "I know what she's thinking right now." You know, and you and you you can basically lie, you know, and become an unreliable narrator. And you can bring someone to a in you know conclusion in a story that's completely incorrect if you've done your job right. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a lie. Look at Harry Potter. Harry Potter is the, uh, you're looking at all the books through Harry Potter's eyes. But, and he's not lying. He just doesn't know, or he's being manipulated. It, it, it's the, it's, it's not just lying. It's, it's that the narrator is unreliable because you need them to be unreliable, but you can do that in like 20 different ways. That's what's fun. <laughs> okay. Stop. Exactly. And yeah, that's the, that's the beauty. Just the, the last thought I had about it is, is uh, the unreliable narrator can often be somebody whose just credibility is compromised. Mm-hmm. And they're telling a narrative, but they're concealing or misrepresenting vital pieces of information, which is also fun as an actor. Oh, yeah. So, Tom, I have a question for you. What do you think of the Bond villains who tell Mr. Bond everything they're going to do to him? Oh, I think it's it's great because you know what it is? It's it's them doing the sin of pride. 
and pride comes before the fall. I think to be a, a megalomaniac or a Machiavellian character, there has to be a certain invulnerability. They're basically teenagers. You know, teenagers think they're never going to die. They can drive their cars fast as they want. I can do whatever I want. I can drink whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And they'll tell you about it. And I, I think the Bond villain goes back to the Shakespearean sort of, well, operatic thing of they are their sin is that they're so overconfident and they've thought of every there's a reason why they used chess as the analogy in uh, do you remember from Russia with Love mm-hmm. it was the second Connery film chess is there's an actual line in Spectre where the Bond goes I've anticipated every possible counter move you know and there's like, <laughs> it's like a, it's, there's an arrogance but there's also kind of a lovability because you're like oh you thought of every move and he still destroyed you you know and, and that's what I love about Bond villains is that you can have him go no Mr. Bond I expect you to die exactly. you know and, Thank and, you. And, 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 and that that is the charm of a Bond villain is in many ways it's Bond but with a with an evil or purpose and He's having this white cat of course you can't forget that <laughs> oh yeah Blofeld and the cat of course mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah I, I, Bond villains are, are wonderful. Love to play one one day, but I, I, they are amazing because they are so arrogant, so brilliant, so Machiavellian that it's delicious. You, if a well done Bond villain is just it's mana, you know. It's mm-hmm. so, so great, great moment. Look what Mad Mickelson did in Casino Royale, where he's, he's yeah. looking at people's tell playing cards. You know, but literally he cries blood. You know, there's just, there's such a he's such a great character. I actually think that my uh, character in uh, the Tucho Cronus plays are sort of like that. The Terrence character, he's he mm-hmm. that he's uh-huh. sort of like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of went crazy in the second one, but. <laughs> Because he went, he went like a Bond villain in the second one. In the first one, he was just manipulative. Um, but when well, he gets so bad, though, you want to see them fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. really bad. Yeah. Yeah. He got really nasty. Um, okay. We're coming to the end. Um, so I want to know what is your feelings toward? Um, okay. Well, first of all, we got some newbies from Sherry's Playhouse, and we do this every time we do a cast interview. The two J's. Do you are you enjoying doing a Sherry's Playhouse? It, 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 this is a good experience for you. Are you enjoying it? It's been good for me. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I'm I'm having a blast. I'm enjoying hearing the the experience of the other people who've done this before. That uh, they've talked about what they've done, the different voices, and the the characters I've done. This is for me a, something I've wanted to do for a long time and I'm absolutely enjoying the heck out of myself. I'm so glad. Um, and does anybody have any final comments before we say bye-bye? No last words. No last words? I want to thank everybody for coming on the show. Um, the play Beyond These Gates will be coming soon. Um, we probably... Uh, mid-June. I don't have an exact date yet. Please keep your eye on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for my account for Sherry's Playhouse and you will get the link and all the updates. Thank you very much and thank you for chatting with Sherry.